Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you on a special Thursday night here after a snowy week here uh, up in the Northeast for both me and John. We're excited. We're getting ready to go to to ISM Raceway. I'm going to call it Phoenix all week here. Uh, ISM Raceway in Avondale, Arizona uh, for the running of the Ticket Guardian 500. That's the next race on the schedule, but a lot to talk about, a lot of lingering effects from Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Kevin Harvick won his 39th career race um, in, a, in pretty dominant fashion. He dominated Atlanta. He went out and dominated Las Vegas. Uh, but then the big news, which was last night, came out that Kevin Harvick will, will lose seven playoff points for a brace breaking in the back window of his car. We saw the pictures. If you haven't been under a rock, you've seen the picture of Kevin Harvick's car with the window uh, bending a certain way. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, Rodney Childers fined $50,000. He loses his car chief for two races as well. But the big deal is he loses those seven playoff points he earned at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a, a hose job by NASCAR because if you really think about it, it wasn't the only car. I mean, if you look and you've seen a couple pictures, there were pictures of Austin Dillon's car having the same uh, flex in the rear mount. I mean, it's a part failure. And you're going to get penalized for it. And it wasn't because it failed pre- or post-race inspection. It was because somebody on Reddit decided to make a big stink about it. Even Junior expected nothing to happen. And Junior's kind of half t- Dale Junior's kind of half ticked off that why is NASCAR listening to people on Reddit whenever they decide they're going to investigate things? I mean, if it wouldn't have been for that, I mean, he passed pre- and post-race plain as day. And the windows aren't part of the inspection, which is something you pointed out on our Facebook page. Um, I think it's kind of a screw job. I think it's one of those things where somebody's screaming and yelling. Chase Elliott was the one screaming and yelling at most. But it isn't – I mean, even Rodney Childers said it doesn't help us. It puts the air in a different way, which doesn't even benefit us. I mean, you want the full the window up all the way to make sure that you have the uh, downforce on the car necessary. I just think it's it's hosed by NASCAR. Stuart Haas is still taking their time to figure out whether they're going to uh, uh, appeal the penalties. I mean, in reality, when have you ever seen a penalty not go the same in appeal? Very much. you ever see anything go away. Uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about this. It's interesting. I think these teams have found something that in this inspection process or in the inspection process that isn't measured, and that is the windshield, as you mentioned, um, that, or that isn't measured as tight as the other parts of the race car. Now, if you want to come out and say, I don't really care for the fact that we, um, you know, when it goes to a racetrack, leaves the racetrack that Kevin Harvick is suspended two days later. I understand that to a point, but I do think that, that there was something to this window brace. I do think there was a uh, intent behind it. I do think they know exactly what they're doing. I think every part of this race car is carefully thought out by the car chief or the crew chief. And that's another thing I don't understand. You know, why, why the car chief? Why not Rodney Childers? And I know Rodney Childers is a good guy and he does a good job, but I don't understand that. If you want to come out and, and when NASCAR came out and, and gave us the definition of an L1 penalty, it said crew chief. That's who gets suspended. Not anybody else. Not the car chief. Not the, not the uh, engineers. Nothing. It was the crew chief. Now we have an L1 penalty, but it's not nearly as stiff because Kevin Harvick loses his car chief not as crew chief doesn't make any sense to me on that part. Uh, I know Childers is going to lose 50 grand whoop de doo for him. But at the end of the day, you know, I do think there was a little bit of, I think he looked at it and he's trying to get lighter weight in the back end of that race car. And that's why he used a little bit lighter of a, of a metal or a little bit lighter of a, of a brace there to make that window bend. I do think that might've been part of it, 
But again, um, you know, I I understand why NASCAR penalized them. I don't understand the car chief aspect of this. I really don't. I think NASCAR is probably thinking the car chief's the one who goes over everything, and the crew chief makes more of the calls and everything and oversees how they build the car, but the car chief's the one who manipulates everything inside of it. The crew chief is sort of like the offensive court. Crew chief's the offensive coordinator, and Brady's the quarterback. Car chief's the quarterback. They're the ones going to uh, make the plays work to get it get the right thing to the driver. So <coughs> I, I mean, it's one of those things. I think it's stupid the way they did it. If it says in the rule book it's a crew chief, guess what? It should be the crew chief. And as much as Rodney Childers is a stand-up guy and everything that goes with it, if he's considered, um, if NASCAR considers it this way and the penalty reads it should be the crew chief, it should be the crew chief. Yeah, and that's the thing I don't understand. And again, I do think he, you know, try you try and get as much weight out of these race cars as you possibly can in certain areas. I think maybe that's what Rodney Childers was trying to do here with that four car, and it bit him. But it, again, I mean, Cheddar Smith's a good guy. He's a good, he's a great car chief. But you know, it's not as harsh to me as losing Rodney Childers, and and losing those seven points is huge um, for Harvick. I think that's that's big. But you know, does that really take? How much did that? affect him i don't really know again i'm not a mechanic i'm not an engineer i don't i couldn't tell you uh what that does but losing those seven points i think are going to be um huge for him i think when you look at what what um martin trucks jr did last year and all of a sudden he you know ran away with the with the playoffs because he had so many playoff points and chase points um this is going to hurt kevin harvick down the road no doubt about it i think we'll we'll get a we'll find out in california because if, I mean, the way Kevin Harvick's running right now, I mean, he blew the field away in Atlanta. He blew the field away in Las Vegas. Phoenix is his playground. I mean, he's won three of the last five races. And he's been phenomenal at Phoenix. And it's a different type of track, so the brace problem that they had at Vegas won't really play that much of a role. They go to California. And Harvick blows everybody's doors in again, and the windshield, the rear wind window never buckles. It's no harm. I mean, I don't see anything out of it. I it's then it'd be a total part failure. It was nothing on, nothing that happened. If Harvick goes out and finishes 25th because he's loose all day and can't get away from anybody and um, just can't get a handle on the car, then you you'll see something out of it. The one difference between Harvick and Joey Logano last year is they don't use the word encumbered anymore, but he loses the playoff points that go with it. The difference was Harvick already has a win in the bank. Joey Logano didn't, and Joey Logano never recovered. Harvick just could go forward with what he's got. Yeah, that's that's a great point because, you know, even if Harvick lost that win, he's got that win in the bank at Atlanta, and they can't take anything away from him. And who knows if what happened – at Las Vegas, happened at Atlanta. But I want to get your opinion. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours off the air before the show um, and basically said, you know, what when it, it leaves the racetrack, when a race car leaves the racetrack, do you think they should say, you know what, you kind of beat us? My, my thing is, you know, I don't mind you coming out and saying, okay, we're going to take the car back to the R&D center and look it over. But if they, And they saw what something they didn't like from Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, and they said, listen, guys, we saw what you did. We saw you had a little bit of a part thing. Uh, don't ever do it again. And if we catch you do it again, we're going to come down really hard on you. But you beat us. You got us. Ha ha. Good for you. You won. But now we're on to you. And you're going to have to find something else to play with. Do you? Would you have a big problem with that? That's the way big, I mean, Bill France Jr. did it. You remember uh, the T-Rex car that Jeff Gordon ran in the uh, Winston back in the day. And Jeff Gordon blew the doors off the field, and everything on that car was legal. Rex Stump found every gray area known to man, and that car was on a rail, and nobody could go near it. And when Bill France Jr. pulled Ray Everham in after the race and said, hey, you got us. You will get an advisory on Tuesday. Don't ever bring this car back to the track again. That's the way it used to be. Now you get everybody where it's like 
okay, we got this, we got that. I mean, you're getting people losing races for a quarter of an inch of tolerance. And instead of you have the story of Harvick going for three in a row, now it's like, okay, the window buckled, and Harvick probably used that to make himself win and everything that goes with it. Now you've lost the playoff points, which, okay, right now it doesn't mean all that much. Come playoff time, it may. But, I mean, you're adding news to your sport that isn't good. It's like going yeah. out and finding everybody in the NFL who beats their wife and parading them around on Wednesday. It doesn't make sense. Well, I'll say this. I think what I would like to see is that if you want to break these cars down, I'm okay with that, but I'm okay with doing it on Sunday night and saying, listen, we're going to take them back, but we're going to do it Sunday night at the racetrack. And what we find Sunday, you know, spend a little bit more time looking over the the winner and, and two extra and three extra cars. We're fine with that. What we don't find Sunday, we don't see that car again. If we don't find it, congratulations. Um, I would be okay with that. I just think it's stupid to wait till Wednesday to, to announce this stuff. You kind of had some momentum going into Phoenix. Um, and now, now everybody's talking about this penalty. Um, and who knows how much it really, what effect it had with Harvick. Um, there's a reason why Rodney Childers, I think, was playing in that area. So no doubt about that. But right now with what they got, I don't think they'll ever do it again, obviously. But And that, that's probably what NASCAR's um, – you know, whole deal behind this thing was, but again, I just think, you know, it kind of puts, like you said, puts a, a black eye on the sport heading into uh, ISM Raceway this weekend. There was one uh, comment Dale the, Jr. had on his download that really made me think about how ingenuitive these guys are. He said on the super speedway tracks, they have actually found a way to adjust the air pressure that when they're going down the straightaway, the roof flap goes up just a little bit. They are playing like that. There's no rule book anybody can write that's going to outsmart these guys. I really believe, and this has always been my thing, if you're going to take one car back to the R&D center and it's going to be penalized from that inspection, you better line up the other 35, 36 cars, because I bet you three or four of them had the same problem, and we've seen the picture with Austin Dillon. If it passes pre-race inspection, if it passes post-race inspection the same way the other 35, 36, 39 cars do, there's your winner. Thank you very much. We may pull a car here and there back to look at it, but there's no penalty that should come from the R&D center. It's bullcrap. And and the thing is, if this laser inspection is the end-all, be-all, the greatest thing ever, how come I didn't find this? You know, that's the thing. And, and that's the thing I think when you look at that, you go, maybe it's not the greatest thing ever. 919 or 917-889-8280 here, Talking Circles. Clayton Cotal, John Harlow here with you tonight. Uh, talking circles, talking about anything you want to talk about. We're talking about uh, Las Vegas. You want to talk about anything in Las Vegas? Previewing Phoenix. And here's something I want to touch on here, John, is what we have learned. These first three races of this season, John, it's been kind of crazy as far as you know what people expected to see here in 2018. Everybody expected the Fords to be behind. The Fords have dominated so far in this season. Uh, you know, I think everybody sort of thought. Um, the, the Chevrolets were going to have something, and Hedrick Motorsports was going to turn a corner. We haven't really seen anything from there. What, in your thought, in your mind, have, have is the biggest thing we've learned so far through the first three races of this season? Ryan Blaney's a phenomenal driver. It's a good one. Um, I think with him going to Penske, even though, I mean, the Wood Brothers was technically Penske light, he basically, him and Jeremy Bullins went back and they're driving in Penske stuff. And Ryan Blaney is the real deal. He won the pole in Vegas. He ran great in uh, Daytona. He ran great in Atlanta. Ryan Blaney's the real deal. Another thing I learned is I think Jimmy Johnson is closer to retirement now than he is an eighth championship. Ooh. They have been out to lunch since midseason last year. 
And there, I looked at, I mean, I was reading ESPN, and they had the uh, the panel discussion asking things, and they asked, uh, is it time for Jimmy Johnson to panic? And nobody said panic yet. But whenever they said, um, do you see Jimmy Johnson getting another championship? And one guy said, I think he's closer to retirement than the championship, and I don't disagree. You, you don't see um, – I mean, he – somehow wound wound up in 12th on Sunday. But you haven't seen them turn crap days into decent days in a long time. You haven't seen them take, turn decent days into a top five. It's been all or nothing with Johnson since midseason last year. And I think Jimmy Johnson is closer to retirement than he is at eighth championship. I'll tell you what I've learned. And this is something I think a lot of people didn't expect. And you touched on it a little bit, and and Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson and, and Chase Elliott, they're the they're the exceptions to this rule. And I know we had a driver who was 27 or 28 years old that won the Daytona 500, but let me just say the youth movement is not happening on the racetrack. Kevin Harvick has led almost 50 percent of the laps this season. He's above the age of 40. Um, and when you look at like Bubba Wallace, Bubba Wallace had. Ran a, had a great speed weeks. His two finishes since speed weeks are 32nd and 21st. Um, Ty Dillon, his best finish this year, is around like 26th. Um, you know, look at uh, Chase Elliott has shown flashes of consistency, but he's wrecked a couple of times this year. Um, so, you know, I, Eric Jones, we haven't really seen a whole lot from. Daniel Suarez hasn't done anything so far this year. Uh, to me, it's just when you look at it, you say, where are these guys? William Byron hasn't shown us anything this year so far. William Byron's been a big disappointment. I mean, there was times at Las Vegas where William Byron was the slowest car on a racetrack, and that includes Ross Chastain at Premium Motorsports. Um, and Alex Bowman hasn't lit up the world. And I know Hendrick's a little bit off to a little bit of a slowish start here. I understand that, but these young drivers that everybody thought was going to take over the sport haven't really done that on the track yet. We've seen Kevin Harvick lead a lot of laps. Kyle Busch should lead some laps. Blaney's been up there, no doubt about it. So is Larson. But it's taken Larson four years to get in there. Um, Chase Elliott, we've seen some consistency from, like I said, he's, he's done some decent, decent stuff in some stages. Um, and he's wrecked twice. Both not his fault, by the way. Oh, well, one you could argue was his fault, actually. Um, but the other one last weekend at Las Vegas wasn't his fault. Um, so you look at it and you say, where are these young drivers kind of that were going to take over this sport? I think what I've learned through three races so far here in 2018 is that these veteran drivers aren't done yet. Oh, no, without a doubt. And I think Bubba Wallace, there needs to be an asterisk beside his name. Bubba Wallace is as good a driver as Blaney, as Chase Elliott, as Larson. I think he still has a little more seasoning to go yet, but let's look at the, let's look at the finishes. Like you said, second at Daytona, where a monkey can drive a car and stay in the draft. Um, you go to Atlanta, he's driving Richard Petty Motorsports stuff, which is nowhere near the quality that Harvick, Almirola, and look at the difference. Almarola has been running great for Stuart Haas this year. Bubba ran a great speed weeks. Again, put anything in, I mean, put whatever you want inside the uh, car on a restrictor plate track and play follow the leader. And, and if you stay out of the wrecks, you got a shot at making it to the front. And you put it on the mile and a half. There is so much difference between Bubba's car and the equipment that he has and what Eric Almarola has. And Eric Almarola is running really well. Richard Petty Motorsports is nowhere near. I mean, they're getting their stuff from Childress. Childress has been nowhere really to be found other than Austin Dillon winning the 500. I mean, Newman had a qualified second in Atlanta, and then you didn't hear from him the rest of the race. You didn't hear much from Newman or Austin Dillon or Ty Dillon or uh, Chris Buescher or um, Almondinger all day in Vegas. So it's it's the equipment, but also these old guys know how to do it. 
Kurt Busch has run great this year, except for when he got he bobbled in Las Vegas and took out Chase Elliott. But Kurt Busch has been running great this year. Almirola has been running great this year. Boyer struggled in Vegas, but he ran great in Atlanta, and he ran great in Daytona. And you've got all the Fords running great. The thing that surprises me is the one veteran you expect to be up there with them, Jimmy Johnson, is out to lunch. Yeah, that's the one that, and that's the one I think um, we need to see turn a corner here. And I'm not talking about winning and and going out and dominating, but just be competitive. As tough as this season's been, and there's no doubt, Jimmy Johnson's season's been tough. And I'm going to say this in a uh, modest try, try and be as as you know low key as possible when I say this, but I think that team showed me a little something at the end of Las Vegas. They got off to a horrific start. They were a lap down early. They started in the rear, and they ended up 12th, a lap down. And I know you say, well, they still finished a lap down in 12th, and that's the 48 team. But listen, that's a hard battle all day. And it's the 48 team, no doubt about it. But when you're a lap down like that all day long, I mean, they were a lap down lap 40. Um, and you fight back to finish 12th like that, I think it's a pretty good day. Uh, not a day that they're looking for, but, you know, if they didn't pa- fail inspection, they would have been okay, you could argue, because track position means so much now, and they didn't have it because they failed inspection three times, and they had to go to the rear. So um, I'm not that concerned about the 48 car, but where I am concerned about is Cendric Motorsports as a whole. Uh you know, Byron has been not has not been very good. Bowman's we've seen him struggle. Chase has done very well. Chase has been the outlier of those the, that whole team. But the but the eighty eight and the twenty four have not been good. And that twenty four has been really scary off. I mean, he was four laps down in twenty seventh without an issue last weekend at Las Vegas. That's not good. That's not gonna get it. That's not gonna turn any heads. That's not. I mean, that's way worse than what Jimmy Johnson did. Um, so I think Hendrick Motorsports. And, and let me ask you this, John. Do you think they're missing right now a team to sort of lean on for a little bit of R&D, which maybe what Stuart Haas was? Do you think they're missing that right now, having a team to sort of try some stuff, bounce some ideas off of? Um, because it seems like ever since Stuart Haas Racing has left, sure, Stuart Haas Racing wasn't as strong as they were last year as they were with Chevrolet, but they're starting to find it this year. But Hendrick Motorsports hasn't been as strong either. Is there any correlation behind that? I think there might be some. I also think, let's look at Hendrick Motorsports three years ago. Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., and Casey Kane. And those four guys could tell you everything about their cars and know about the others, and you've got somebody who knows the car inside and out and feeling it through the butt of their seat and can tell the crew chief that they know very well and every driver was able to blend with each other. Jimmy could pick up something Jeff did, or Jeff could pick up something Junior did, or Casey could pick up something Jimmy did. You don't have that now. You have Jimmy Johnson. You've got Chase Elliott, who's been there three years, and him and Alan Gustafson have somehow found a way to um, pick up right where Gordon and him left off. But you've got Byron, and you've got Bowman. And I don't know how much they are able to give feedback. One of the things that you look, and Kevin Harvick talked about it early this year, when Danica came into the sport, she was so far behind. But she also was never able to give the feedback that was needed to actually contribute to the uh, competition meetings on Tuesday. And he swore up and down this year since they started. Eric Almarola has been one of the best uh, at providing information in the competition meetings on Tuesdays at Stuart Haas Racing. The difference between Eric Almirola in the 10 car and Danica in the 10 car is night and day for Stuart Haas, and you're seeing a performance on the track, and also their second year with Ford. This year, I think William Byron's lost. He said flat out, I, have, I mean, I am lost, basically, in an interview this week. Alex Bowman is still trying to find his feet. You've got Jimmy and Chad who have always done Jimmy and Chad things and 
were sort of a little different than everybody else, and you've got Chase and Gustafson. You don't have the four-car team. But whenever it was Hendrick with Stuart Haas as the uh, satellite, look at the talent in the room there. Whenever they had the competition meetings and stuff, you had Jimmy, Jeff, um, Dale Jr., Casey Kane, but then add into it Smoke, Harvick, and Kurt Busch. Even if Danica's there for decoration, you have seven drivers who have been big, I mean, multiple race winners, multiple champions sitting in that room who can give them the feedback of what's needed in the car. I don't think that feedback's there. It's Jimmy Johnson, Chase a little bit, and that's it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and I, I think that, not to change the subject here, but um, your point about what we learned through the first three races is a, a well-taken one about Ryan Blaney because Team Penske was a powerhouse two-car operation a year ago. They're now a powerhouse three-car operation. And what he's done for that organization in the first three races, and, and he finished 12th at Atlanta and wasn't you know, uh, as strong as the other two races, but he was the best car in Daytona, no doubt about it. Uh, he ran very well at Las Vegas. So uh, Ryan Blaney's got a lot of racing to do this year, and he's going to win a lot of races in the future, no doubt about that. Um, uh, listen, it, well, we're going to talk about it again in three races after Martinsville. We're going to talk about what we learned after those six races and see if it's changed any since Las Vegas. Um, it should be very interesting, and that's what you love about these season, this season here. Um, but who would have thought that the fir- that through three races, the first three points uh, drivers would all be Fords with Harvick, Logano, and Ryan Blaney. Pretty impressive so far here in 2018 for the Ford camp. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell, and John Harlow here with you tonight. John, Hall of Fame came out. Uh, five more uh, nominees for the NASCAR Hall of Fame this week were announced. Harry Gant is on it, the veteran driver with 19 career wins. Jeff Gordon, 93 wins, four championships. Kirk Shelmerdine, four championships as a crew chief. A bunch of wins under Dale Earnhardt. John Holman and Ralph Moody as well, also named as nominees for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Haven't heard anything yet as far as um, who will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But what do you think? What are your thoughts about these five guys here? You got Harry Gant and Jeff Gordon. Um, you know, I think Jeff Gordon, and, and again, a mutual friend of ours talked about Jeff Gordon. If Jeff Gordon's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, and if there's one person who doesn't have him on the first ballot of, for the Hall of Fame, they should be they should get their voting privileges taken away from him. I totally agree with that. Uh, what are your thoughts on these five here nominees? If you think about it, there are probably only five drivers in my mind, who should have automatically been first ballot Hall of Famers. should have been Petty, Pearson, uh, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, and Jimmy Johnson. You could find ways to get around Daryl, but Daryl should have been too, so there may be six. But as everybody said when you've listened to Sirius XM this week, the Hall of Fame class this year is Jeff Gordon and the other four. And yeah, Jeff Gordon should be a unanimous one. 93 wins, four championships. There's only ever been two guys who won more championships than Jeff Gordon. And it's Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. And Jimmy Johnson, I'm sorry. All three of them have won seven. So there's nobody that's going to touch Jeff Gordon. It should be Jeff Gordon and the other four. Where I keep getting and thinking about this is they ought to start breaking it into wings. In my mind, Kurt Shelmerdine was a solid crew chief. He won four titles with Dale Earnhardt and won a lot of races with him. Then he went out and branched off and did his own team and stuff like that. Kurt Shelmerdine is not in the conversation with me when it comes to Davey Allison, when it comes to Alan Kowicki, when it comes to Bobby Labonte when it comes to the guys who put the helmet on and made the sport. You you need the crew chief, you need the owners, but everybody – you see anybody wearing Kirk Shelmerdine T-shirts? No, they're wearing Jeff Gordon T-shirts. They're wearing Bobby Labonte T-shirts. They're wearing Davey Allison T-shirts. If they're going to put something like that in, 
they should do like the Pro Football Hall of Fame does or the Baseball Hall of Fame, a contributor category, which is what they should have done with the Francis and the Bruton Smiths and the other stuff like that. Or put a crew chief wing in. Do the Xfinity truck modified all other NASCAR series. But if you're not one of the top drivers in the Cup series, you should have you should be in your own separate wing or your own separate category. That's interesting. You know, I'm I think your Cup uh, stats and your Cup performance should be separate from the others, but. Uh, that's an interesting discussion. We have a caller here with us tonight. Uh, it's Lee from Virginia. Hello, Lee. Hi, guys. Nice to talk to you again. It's been a while. Hey, good to have you back, Lee. Yeah, it's been a while, well, Lee, you. since we've heard from you. What do you want to talk about tonight there, Lee? Well, I, I think the uh, the Jeff Gordon conversation you guys were just talking about I felt really struck me was interesting, and, and the fact that I think there's no question it should be a unanimous ballot. Anybody who doesn't vote for this man, should be kicked off and have all their ballot, uh, you know, rights taken away. And, and if they're a writer, they should be fired from their job. I mean, you can look at, st- at statistics. There's three drivers better with better statistics. But this is a guy that carried this sport on his back, a kid from California who, you know, out of nowhere, or not really out of nowhere, but in a sport that was sum- dominated by Southern people, major- majorly, who carried it into – new eras and really took NASCAR from, you know, basically a, a big sport into mainstream. And, you know, Dale Earnhardt did that as well, but there was a, Jeff Gordon was a major, 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 major contribute. And I mean, major contribute to that. And I think anybody who was around during that era and watched during that era will completely agree with you, love him or hate him. And he was huge for NASCAR. He was huge. They're missing somebody like that now in the sport. And, I mean, he should have been. He should be. He should have been in the day he announced his retirement. He should have been in. But um, there's no question he should be in for sure. I like what John was saying about the different wings. I don't. Ron Hornaday was not not a good Cup Series driver. He wasn't. I mean, he failed in Cup and he went back down to the Truck Series because he didn't get it done on the Cup level. So, I mean, and we're putting him in the Hall of Fame for that. To me, I look at it that and I go, "Oof, I'm not sure we should be doing something like that." And does that take away from the legitimacy of this Hall of Fame? It's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't I agree with you, Lee? I think it's almost like putting Crash Davis in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame because he had the most homers in the minor league history. When you watch Bull Durham, I mean, if you're the best Cup driver, that's where you go in. If you're going to have an Xfinity wing, that's great. If you're going to have a Truck wing, that's great. Rod Hornaday, Jack Sprague, Mike Skinner. Soon to be Johnny Sauter and uh, Matt, Matt Crafton. There's going to be your truck wing to start, but I wouldn't put them in over. I mean, for the love of God, Ron Hornaday went in over Bobby Labonte and went in over uh, Alan Kowicki, and they both won cup championships. There's something right. wrong there. And that's where I get a little bit kind of funky. Again, Here's my argument, and and not to get off on a tangent, and I'll come back to guys like Harry Gant and Kirk Shelmerdine in a second, but my argument is look at a driver like Jeff Bodine. Jeff Bodine in a modified series was unbelievable. Won more races, like 100 races one year in in the 70s. And the only reason why Jeff Bodine didn't continue winning a ton of races in modifieds is because he was running in the highest level of competition for stock car racing in the country in the Cup Series. Had he stayed in modified, he probably would have won, broke every record in the book. So he gets penalized in the NASCAR Hall of Fame's eyes because he ran in the Cup Series? To me, I have a big problem with that. And, and listen, I think he gets penalized too because he did ruffle a lot of feathers. You know, him and Davey Allison had spats. Him and Dale Earnhardt did not like one another, and oh, yeah. you know he did cause a lot of issues there. But to me, that does not mean that he's not a Hall of Fame driver. I think Jeff Bodine was a very, very good Cup Series driver, was in very good stuff, always ran well, you know, won with his own team, didn't win a championship, but was a very good Cup Series driver and, and won a Daytona 500. So I think, though, the fact that he ruffled a lot of feathers in that garage area is holding that against him, at least – being on the ballot, because there are some people on this ballot that I think he definitely deserves to be in over, no question about it. I'm not sure whether or not I put him in the Hall of Fame yet, but the names oh. on that list, he should be in over some of them. 
he's got his modified stats are unbelievable. That's what that's what people have to understand. You know, it's not like it just if you're gonna put Richie Evans in, and that's fine if you want to put Richie Evans in, but if you don't weigh Jeff Bodine's modified stats, you know, to me that's ridiculous. So I just think they're miss they're missing Jeff Bodine, no doubt about it. Well, the other thing is with Jeff Bodine, if you think about it, Jeff Bodine was running really well driving for other people. And Jeff Bodine saved Alan Kowicki's team. Whenever Alan Kowicki was killed, Jeff Bodine bought it. And I don't think, I mean, you think about it, when Jeff Bodine bought that team, he didn't have the money to put the equipment in like he would if he was driving for Penske or Hendrick or somebody like that. But he saved that team and probably hurt himself in his career by doing that. Yeah, he did. But he saved the team. Yeah, and that was back in the 90s that uh, when you still thought you could be an owner-driver, no doubt about that. Um, but listen, he – to me, it's 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 kind of a, a, a crime he's not on the ballot, at least just yet. Another interesting guy I want to get your opinions on here is Harry Gant. Harry Gant won his first race in 1982, won his last race in 1992, won 18 races in an 11-year period. He had a very interesting career because from 82 to 85, he won nine races and finished in the top 10 in points every single season. Then he went through a three-year lull of not winning races at all and outside the top 10 in points, including 22nd in 1987 running the full year. Then he bounced back in 89, won five races in the infamous September of 1991, uh, four races in a row, including four Xfinity Series races. And finished his career out at the age of 52 with two wins in 1992. 93 didn't win any. Finished 11th in points and then had an abysmal 94 to finish it all off. Um, an interesting guy because his career started late and he was an older he, – he was a late bloomer coming into NASCAR late. What are your thoughts? Uh, we'll go to John first. What are your thoughts, John Quick, on handsome Harry Gant? I think Harry Gant was a good driver. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, it, like you said, there was a couple years, but this is over a career, not a couple years. And I don't think Harry Gant had the career that you need to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he was a good driver. I think he did a lot of good things for the sport. And he was handsome Harry. He had some of the best hair the sport ever had. But there was – it's nothing that – I mean, I look at the Hall of Fame is. Are you in the top of the class in your era? And Harry Gant wasn't in the top of the class in his era, in my mind. Harry Gant might have been in the top ten drivers in his ten years, but I would not put him as somebody who moved the needle on the sport, somebody who um, you knew every week was going to have a chance to win, and he didn't move the needle when it came to ratings and people coming into the stands. I look at the Hall of Fame, you have to be somebody that moves the needle. And Harry Gant was a really good driver. He's a really nice guy. That doesn't put you in the Hall of Fame. How about you, Lee? I mean, you got Harry Gant. And I'll say this, John, you hit on a lot of interesting points. I'm on the fence, no doubt about it. His stats don't jump out me out at me and go, wow. He's an interesting guy. He's a great. He was a good driver. I think it hurt him. He wasn't with a big team. I think that really hurt him. I think he could have won a lot more races if he had a big team. But his stats, when you look at his stats, you don't. They don't jump out at the page and go, "Wow, he was great for a long time." Um, and that's that's the truth. He was a, a he did a nice nice job with the stuff he was in. Uh, once Andy Petrie got there, he won a lot of races. But once Andy Petrie left, he didn't win any more at all. What are your thoughts on Harry Gant, Brand? Nearly. Well, to me, to me, I, they, there's a lot. There's, this argument to me is is interesting one because this is something. A, a lot of what I hear about Harry Gant is what I hear about, uh, you know, Davey Allison. I also hear about Buddy Baker. Where okay, well, they would have if they were able to race. You know, Buddy Baker was doing tire tests for teams and all of that, and making more money doing that than he was going out and running, running, running races. Well, you know, that's not my problem. You know, he chose to do that. Um, Davey Allison passed away, unfortunately. And there's, to me, if I had to give an assessment and, I, and if I had to be a betting man, if, had Davey Allison lived, he would have won four or five championships. But he didn't. 
And it's very difficult to judge what we didn't see. And Harry Gant didn't start his career until he was in his probably late 30s, early 40s. And a lot of people are like, well, how Harry Gant runs for the first 20 years of his career, he would have won 80 races. Yeah, but he didn't. You know, and, and how do you know that? I mean, he wasn't out there going up against Richard Petty and all those guys early on, you know, when he's in his 20s and 30s. So to me, that argument is like, well, yeah, he could have, but he didn't. And, and Clayton, you know, you're right. The equipment hurts him. Um, and, but again, we don't know what he'd be like in great equipment. You know, he could have been at, that equipment could have been pretty good when he was winning races. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a very finicky one there for me. I really have to look at that hard, but he's one that, you know, you go on to compare it to Major League Baseball. I could see missing, and then in a few years, once we see people get in, maybe get in on a veterans committee, and they'd go, man, how do we miss Harry Gant? Because the the number of people that have gotten in over the years have really lowered the standards of the Hall of Fame. But at this point, I don't think Harry Gant's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, his, I, again, I agree his... with you, Lee. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer at this point. And one of the things when you brought up the Davey Allison thing, like I was saying, Harry Gant didn't move the needle. In Davy Allison's time when he was driving, and before he unfortunately lost his life in the helicopter crash, Davy Allison, when he strapped his helmet on and buckled in, he was a threat to win almost every race he was in, and he moved the needle. The reason Jeff Gordon is a no-doubt-about-it first-ballot first ballot Hall of Famer, and if, if somebody doesn't write their name in, they deserve to be fired, like you said, Lee. Jeff Gordon changed the sport. Davey Allison was in the process of changing the sport when Jeff, Jeff Gordon came along and we lost Davey Allison. Davey Allison was bringing young women into the sport because Davey Allison was a good-looking young guy. He had a bunch of old farts out there with Bobby Allison, Donnie Allison, Petty and everything. Davey Allison was the first young buck that you really noticed getting in there. And then Gordon came along. I think, Harry Gant, if you take that September away, you don't think about Harry Gant because up until that September, Harry Gant was a mid-pack guy. Clayton? Yeah, I agree with you, John. I, I really do. And, and that argument is something that you can have a lot. It's It's one of those arguments that I think you can look at and say, with a lot of guys, and there's another guy on this list, John, and I don't know how you feel about him, but I saw Roger Penske's name come up on there. And I want to I address this. I want to address this because I look at it and I say, I love Roger Penske. I think he's the classiest of class in the sport. I think his people are easy to work with. His drivers are impeccably awesome. They're great. But let's call a spade a spade here. This is the NASCAR Hall of Fame. This isn't the International Motorsports Hall of Fame. This is the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and Roger Penske's won one championship as a team owner in this sport. Uh, is he some? Is he going to go up against against you know Richard Childress, who's won six? Roger uh, 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 Rick Hendrick, who's won a ton. How many? You know how many? How much do we look at that and say is Roger Penske a NASCAR Hall of Famer? That's one that I think a lot of people are looking at going, oh, that's a shoe in, and I don't totally agree with that. Yeah, that's an um, interesting one, and there, there's a lot there's. Some people who, you know, you look at it and they, they say the same thing about A.J. Foyt. A.J. Foyt was, you know, Chris Economaki, the, the great the great broadcaster Chris Economaki was, and as long as his career was and how well-respected he was in the motorsports, Chris Economaki used to say A.J. Foyt was the greatest driver he ever saw. But A.J. Foyt won five cup races. Um, I saw something on Twitter this week about that. Is A.J. Foyt belong in the NASCAR Hall of Fame? I really don't think he does. You know, so that's a big name. It's a big, it's a, it's a driver who – he probably is the greatest driver to ever live. But as far as the NASCAR, you want to keep it NASCAR Hall of Fame. My opinion on Roger Penske is he deserves some, some credit for his longevity as an owner. You know, there's only a handful of owners who have been along, around as long as Roger Penske has. What? He's been in it now almost – uh, 30 years almost coming close to it, 27, 28. So he deserves that because there's just not a lot of owners who have been in it that long um, and, and been as successful as far as winning as many races as he's won. 
I understand your point as far as one championship. Um, but I think when we look at it, we're going to sit there and go, Roger Penske is a great car owner. But as far as NASCAR is concerned, you know, I just don't want to see, like, their IndyCar stat, his IndyCar stats on, on in the NASCAR Hall of Fame, what he's done in other motorsports. It doesn't matter. What he's done in NASCAR matters. Uh, and, and I think it will definitely influence the vote what he's done in other, other series. No doubt about that, Lee. I think it's a very good point. But I do think he does belong in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I think is one of the things that they got to start doing is cutting it back from five. Where they're, I mean, I know it's early in the Hall of Fame and they're putting five in, but now they're ten. You're about ten years into this thing. We did a a couple years ago. Clayton and I were putting together a piece for a different, I mean, for a website, top hundred drivers of all time in NASCAR, and we found that if you go a hundred deep, I mean, we had Danica on the list because she won a pole. There aren't 100 drivers who've won the races. There aren't 100 winners. So, I mean, then you're digging into all the other, I mean, digging into other series. If you want to make this Hall of Fame legit, I mean, you look at the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. You Some some years you don't get anybody in. If you're going to put five in every year, yeah, you're going to water the freaking pool pretty quick. Roger Penske, in my mind, is the ultimate car owner in no matter what you look at. Does he have the championships that Joe Gibbs has? Does he have the championships? Hell, Tony Stewart and Gene Haas would go in before Roger Penske when it comes to championships because they've won two and Penske's won one. I look at it as Roger Penske has won a lot of races. He may not have had all the championships that Rick Hendrick has or Jack Roush has. Jack Roush has two. But he doesn't have the championships that they have. But he's won a lot of races in his cars. I still think the owners should be in a separate wing. And maybe you do one owner a year. And let them go, and then you come down to pecking order. You're going to go Richard Petty. You're going to go Richard Childress, Rick Hendrick. The Joe Gibbs, you'll get to, and sooner or later, Roger will get in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Is he in now? I don't think so. This is very interesting. I think, um, again, I understand completely what Lee's saying because you don't want what he's done in other series to influence the vote. But I think it's gonna, unfortunately, you know. Um, and I think that's a that's a hard thing. Same thing with AJ Foyt. You know, I don't want to see AJ Foyt get in the NASCAR Hall of Fame either because I think AJ again he's a great driver, but he didn't do a whole lot in Cup. Um, let's be honest. So, oh, and back whenever whenever AJ was in, it paid more money to run IndyCar. Yeah, so that's he, why he ran IndyCar. He had a great career, no doubt about it. I'm not trying to diminish anything he's done, but we're talking about the Na- It's not motorsports. We're talking about the NASCAR. Hall of Fame. Um, just keep that in mind. Phoenix, I'm going to do it. There's a dollar in the, in the jar. ISM Raceway this weekend, Ticket Guardian 500. Uh, Lee and Virginia, what do you think we're going to see this weekend um, as far as racing at ISM Raceway goes? Who do you think is going to be strong? Uh, and what do you think we're going to see before I let you go? Harvick. Harvick, Harvick. Uh, he's on fire right now. On fire. I, we haven't seen a run like this in a while. Uh, you know, as much as we've seen a lot of guys win a bunch of races, even Truex, um, back-to-back weeks he dominated, and now we're headed to his best racetrack on the circuit. Uh, and Atlanta's a great racetrack for him, probably a second. Phoenix is his best racetrack on the circuit, and the Ford's been really strong. Uh, Stuart Haas Racing has been impeccably strong, and Harvick's the best driver there. Um, I think he's even better than Kurt Busch, which I think Kurt Busch is a great driver. But Harvick, I think, is the best driver there. Rodney Childers and Harvick together are the best tandem they got there at Stuart Haas. And I think Stuart Haas is the best Ford team right now, and the Fords are the best manufacturer right now. And we're at Harvick's best racetrack. So Harvick, 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 I think he's the man to beat, even with the encumbered win that he just got or the non-encumbered win. What the hell they're calling it now, whatever it is. Even with that win, I don't think it, it slows them down at all going into Phoenix this weekend. Uh, it's, and we can say Phoenix because it's at Phoenix. So uh, going into Phoenix at IMS, ISM Raceway, whatever they're calling it now, 
uh, Harvick, Harvick, Harvick. Pretty soon they're going to name that place Kevin Harvick Raceway. So uh, he's going to win this week. I think there's no doubt about it. Let me say I this. don't disagree with you there, Lee. Okay. I think uh, it's Harvick's it's Harvick show to lose. Uh, a couple of the ones Kevin that I Harvick, see. What makes Kevin Harvick so dangerous is Kevin Harvick can win anytime, anywhere, at any track. I don't think you can say that about too many other drivers on a circuit. Go ahead, John. I think if you look at it, Harvick is the one to beat for sure. I don't. I mean, some of the ones I think that could be up there with him. I see Chase Elliott running well. He ran great there last year, I, and they're running consistent for Hendrick Motorsports. I think that's their the Chevy's bread and butter. I also think um, Blaney. I have been impressed with everything Blaney's done this year. I and the other one that surprised me, and whenever we talked about what we've thought about the first three weeks. How quiet is Joey Logano, and he's leading the points race? Mm. Joey Logano has been there in the picture all season long. And Joey Logano does well at Richmond. Joey Logano does well at New Hampshire. This is a flat-mile track. It could be something where Logano gets in Harvick's way at some point and pulls one off. But I think it's a Ford, and the only non-Ford I see having a chance is Chase Elliott. Lee, what about the Chevrolets? you think this this will help them at all this week as far as being off a mile-and-a-half track um, and, you know, a track that you feel like the drivers have a little bit more say here at Phoenix than they do at, like, a Las Vegas? Um, do you think that will help them this weekend here at Phoenix? Well, I don't know. They're really struggling. And what I you I agree with you from what I saw from Chad Canales on Sunday and, and Jimmy Johnson – but there was also times that during that race where he looked extremely frustrated as well. Um, but, again, that's a team that I'm not worried about, the 48. They will at least run in the top 10 in points until they could do this for the next 70 years and they'd still run in the top 10 in points. It's just a matter of back, fact of where they're going to get back to where they were. Um, but the Chevrolets at Phoenix here, um, boy, I think a lot of people were banking in Chevrolet to come in here and with the new body and be like, okay, we're going to dominate here. This is not a track that the new body is going to affect it that much. And so the advantage that they're supposedly gaining from that new body isn't going to be there. And the Chevrolet teams have just been off. And the Hendrick Motor, I mean, Ganassi, and I can see Ganassi running well with, with Larson. I don't know where Jimmy McMurray's been, but he's been on another planet compared to Kyle Larson. Um, and he just seems like he's mailing in his career right now. But Larson can definitely win. He's the Chevrolet that can win. Chase Elliott can definitely win. But I think other than those two, uh, the rest of the Chevrolets, I don't think, really have a chance this weekend. Well, Lee, while we got you here, we talked earlier about um, some of the young guys coming up. And we talked about Hendrick Motorsports, and uh, Clayton asked if um, losing Stuart Haas may have hurt them as they've gone forward. I think, I think it's a, a combination of losing Stuart Haas and losing – Dale Jr., Casey Kane, and Jeff Gordon and replacing it with three young guys who don't drive a car anyway close to what Jimmy Johnson does. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's it's morally Jeff Gordon. I think Jeff knew this stuff. I think Jeff knows the cars. He knew ever knew a lot. And as much as it does, you know, go in there with the loss of Stuart Haas, it does go along with the loss of Jeff Gordon as well. So, to me, I think Jeff Gordon uh, that was a big loss as well. I think we're I think we tend to under under change that I think a little bit too because we realize the driver may not have as much effect as he used to but I think that's a separate case with Jeff Gordon that's how much he knew about these cars and could really help um, I think you're seeing it at Joe Gibbs Racing right now I think they're totally missing Carl Edwards I think they're missing Matt Kenseth that's why uh, uh, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch were so you know spoken vocal last year when Kenseth wasn't brought back because they realized what Matt Kenseth was bringing to the table. I think Hendrick Motorsports went through that with the loss of Jeff Gordon, and right now uh, they're looking to try and find it, and I hope they do because it's great to have. It'd be great to have them run good again. But I think that's what Gibbs is missing too. Is they're just missing Kenseth and they're missing Carl, and that was a strong team when those four guys were there, and now there's only two of the four that are left. And uh, you know Hendrick Motorsports is going through that same thing right now. Something I found interesting this week that I saw and read was Dale Jr.'s comments about being a Cup owner. He's always shot away from it. He's always said, nah, we're happy in the Xfinity Series. I don't think Cup's a place I really want to go to. This week he kind of said, eh, maybe there's an opportunity. 
That's what made me think Rick Hendricks out there courting some people going, get under my umbrella. Come here. I need the I need an eight car oper- team to operate with or a six car team to operate with like the Toyotas have. Because right now he's only got four to play with. You know, he used to have eight with, with uh, you could say, 800 cars per, per se at Stuart Haas Racing. Um, you know, the only team that gets, they, they make their uh, chassis for them. That's it. Sure, they lease their engines out to Ganassi, um, but they don't lease their chassis out to anybody else. And they let technical support to the 95 and technical support to the 47 and 37. But, you know, it's not a full-bore satellite operation like we saw at Stuart Haas Racing. So it was interesting. I thought Dale Jr.'s comments to kind of come out this week and say, I'm thinking not, – not, not, not that he's thinking about it, but he didn't deny him going to Cup, as, at least as vehemently yeah. as has in the past. When you're as popular as Dale Jr., though, and you lose what you were popular with, you do want to stay in the news and keep your name out there as well. I think that's a lot of it. I think it's part of it as well. I really do. I mean, as much as I respect Dale, and he was tremendous for the sport, um, he's no longer the talk now, and I think that could be hurting his ego a little bit and saying, hey, you know what, maybe I'll say something to keep my name out in the news. I actually think that it is something that's possible, but I don't think it's what you think, Clayton. I think when Rick Hendrick has said, okay, I'm tired, I've had enough, since Ricky's not there anymore, I think Hendrick Motorsports is taken over by Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt as a partnership. That's interesting. And then, listen, it could happen because we've talked about it at length on this show before where these owners are older now, um, and they're going to have to find a successor here very soon. Jack Ross is going to have to find one at his organization. They'll can five years. sponsorship, no problem. So Yeah, and so can Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon's still a very big name, so that's a that's a very good point here. Um, to, to bring it back to Phoenix this weekend, Lee, just real quick, and then I'll, I'll get John's opinion on this. One driver that has to have a good run this weekend at Phoenix to turn his 2018 season around, and the drive and that same driver in the same breath that has to have a good run and will have a good run this weekend at Phoenix. Has to have a good run to save his season, Ty Dillon. Um, you know, I know he's not that big of a name, and he's probably not a guy that we thought would make the playoffs this year. But they made a big crew chief change there at the end of the season. They moved out Booty Barker, who a lot of people really respect. And they brought in Nat Borland, and it has been an absolute train wreck so far this season. And I know it's been a couple of intermediate tracks in Daytona. So, you know what, let's get to Phoenix, and let's prove to us that you made the right move there by moving Matt, by moving Booty Barker out of there and bringing in Matt Borland. Go have a top 25, top 20 run this week with Ty Dillon, because if you don't, you're going to look like a bunch of fools for making that move. You already do. But, you know, maybe you can go to Phoenix and salvage something. Uh, the guy that does have a good run this year, week, I'm going to say Jimmy Johnson. I think he's going to go run top 10, and I think we're going to say, okay, well, we're worried about this guy. They showed a little bit something this week. I think he goes out there and runs in the top 10, maybe top 5. Doesn't necessarily contend for a win, but I think that's the guy you're looking at. How about you, John? Who do you got? I think the guy who needs a good run is William Byron. So I think his confidence is pretty close to being shot right now. I agree with that whole um, The kid has one in everything he's driven in and now it's like wait a minute i'm t- i mean you look he's totally lost like you said he's four laps down in vegas with no issues i think the guy who needs a good run and is going to have a good run this week to help save his season is the guy who made more news by getting people in the sport to sponsor him is matt de benedetto I think Matt will have a good run this week. I think it's a great story that Harvick and Hamlin and Daryl, and he got a sponsor for the race by going out and saying, hey, we're going to have a blank car. And we're going to end up yeah. starting to park it unless we get some support. And people came to it. He got a sponsor out of it. And I think Matt Benedetto is going to have a good race. I hope so. It would be good for him and that team. They had a pretty good run there at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last week as well. I think they ended up 22nd, so that's a nice run for them. Guys, great stuff tonight. Lee in Virginia, always call back, please. You're great. Uh, you're the man, and, and we'll see you next time. That was Lee in Virginia. Um, we'll be back here Sunday after the uh, Ticket Guardian 500 at ISM Raceway, um, discussing all things NASCAR. Anything else news comes that way, we'll have a Sunday here. On Talking in Circles. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. Retweet our stuff. We'll see you next time. Good night.